You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. How are we doing this morning, church? I appreciate you guys repenting on that welcome. Uh, Amen. Let me get myself set up real quick. We've been talking emotionally healthy spirituality. How have you guys liked that course so far? Enjoy it? How many of you don't like it? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Hopefully there's something good in there, right? So today we're going to tackle a couple things, right? Um, Before I get into that, the main focus of this is through chapter two in the book. Um, Some great tidbits in there that I really enjoy. Like any program, you know, it's there's going to be some good that you like. Um, there might be some that's a little questionable. But whatever it is, there's always something that uh, you can glean uh, from the book and from the practice itself. But before we get into all that, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity, God, to be together. It is, is a blessing to be a part of a body. It is a blessing to be able to pray to you in any and every situation. You're a loving God. You're a gracious God. You're a merciful God. You are an amazing Father. We pray, God, that you're encouraged by the songs this morning as we continue to sing more. We pray, God, that our message today will allow me to be an empty vessel. Your spirit to work powerfully through me, God, in spite of myself. For all of us that came here this morning, God, allow our hearts to be attentive and open, that we can draw close to you through your word, that we can be inspired by your Holy Spirit. We can be better for our time having been here more like Christ, and closer to you. We thank you, God. We love you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So the title for today is Know Yourself That You May Know God. Is kind of a sub, but it's, it's knowing is the focus. That can be a little bit of a misnomer, I think, in some respects. Um, and I think Brian mentioned it, because we don't want to get so pop psychology that it becomes this journey of self-discovery apart from God, apart from his word, Right? But there's, you know, there's good, really good information that I like from the author um, and that I hopefully can help us to deal with. And I don't know where you're in the spectrum of emotions. Um, I grew up watch, watching a lot of Clint Eastwood and a lot of 80 action guys, like Sylvester Stallone, um, you know, Van Damme, <clears throat> Arnold, uh, Seagal. And they weren't very big on how you feel. It's more about the size of your muscles, we won't say how they accumulate those muscles. And then something that they just did and accomplished and they saved the day and, and won, in whatever capacity, right? So it's good to delve into emotions. And it's kind of what we're going to do a little bit today, um, obviously with bringing it to a head to the lordship and relationship with Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. Good Ephesians scripture in Ephesians 4, 22 through 25. It says this. This is kind of our theme a little bit. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for all members of one body. And so how this you know, correlates to emotions a little bit, and I think a lot of times when I shared, we can completely dodge and avoid them altogether. Or we can think that emotions are a bad thing. And you're not supposed to feel them. You're just kind of like an automaton, a robot. You just do things, get things done, put all aside. 
We can put up masks and these falsehoods, as Scripture mentions. Uh, we show the world one thing, but internally, inside, in our hearts, something completely different. The Scripture mentions this idea of the ability to put off the falsehoods, to remove the fronts. There was a 90s rap song that there's no future in a front. If you know that song, raise your hand. If you don't, it's okay. Forgive you. <laughs> to be able to let go of the facade and the exterior and deal with what's really inside. It's important to know this. Our God feels. We are made in the image and likeness of our creator. Two of these verses reference uh, God, and it says, The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. This is right before the flood, right around the flood, right? God felt, felt something. He was hurting. I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. He says that in Exodus 20, verse 5. Rightfully so. He made us. He created us. He loves us. He wants us to be with him. We're his. Jesus said this. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Matthew 26. Right before he goes to the cross, the Garden of Gethsemane, he's feeling intense motions. He's sweating blood. He looked around in them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. At the religious leaders. They had all these opinions about Jesus. None of them were good. Saw this man that was hurting. He said, stretch out your hand. And he healed him. He was deeply distressed. There's another passage where it says that Jesus longed to gather Jerusalem like a hen gathering his chicks. All he wanted to do was to be close to his people. Very raw, very deep, very profound emotions. What do you do with all these feelings? I'm thinking as a teenager, good to see you guys, teens, coming from uh, IE everywhere else. Yeah. Hey, you, you, can, you can get loud for that. You can represent. Yeah. From, yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't, yeah, OC, OC. Yeah. Everybody, shout out where you're from. Ready? Go. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Here's the thing. Same as a teen, same as an adult. You feel. I felt a lot as a teen. I don't know how you felt as a teen. It was a lot of emotions, a lot of actions, and I didn't really process what I did until afterwards. As an adult, I think as we get older, we can get better at maybe pushing things aside, maybe burying a little bit, and just getting stuff done. I think there's a middle road. The Bible says that the man of God will avoid all extremes. So what's the middle road when it comes to emotions and processing them? One, I think is this idea of being allowed to experience our feelings. You know, recently my uh, grandpa passed away. And having to go through just the grief, still processing the grief, the temptation is for me to deal with it on a surface level and be like, oh yeah, it's kind of there. But then not pray through it. Not give it up to God. And allow myself to go through the whole gamut of mixed emotions that I'm about to go through, right? So you need this time to really experience your feelings, to reflect on it. You should know what you're feeling. You should know why you're feeling. And then lastly, thoughtfully respond to feelings under the lordship of Jesus. This is probably one of the most important parts, right? Because what happens if we just feel and then feel some more and then we don't process it? It can come out in the worst of ways. You know what I mean? It'll like seep through your pores, it'll seep through your actions, and then you find yourself doing things that you'll ultimately regret. 
So if we're able to respond to feelings under the Lordship of Jesus, we're going to be able to connect with God. We're going to be able to use his word as a hedge. You know, it's this idea of these stormy seas of our emotions, and you have the banks of this shore, the banks of your faith, and that stops all that feeling. There has to be some kind of hedge that says, this is where my emotions come off, and this is where the Lordship of Christ begins. Amen? The book says something to this extent, but I kind of twisted it um, for a good way. It says, one of the greatest obstacles in knowing ourselves is our own lack of God knowledge. The book says the kind of opposite, but I feel like you need to know God better before you can know yourself better. You know, the knowledge of self, that can be a good discovery, but it can find you very limited in terms of how much you actually connect to God. But the deeper you connect to God, the more you have this image of who you're supposed to be in Christ. You're able to put off this old self. You're able to, to get rid of the fronts, and you're able to be who you're actually supposed to be in Jesus. It's a challenge because the reality of our world, and as John 3.19 talks about this, is that our world is afraid of the light. It's afraid of the truth of Jesus, and we've all been there at one point in time. Because what happens when you start getting close to the truth? What happens when you start getting close to a light that bright? That light shines in your heart, and it shows you for who you are and who you are not. In that John 3, 19 through 21 scripture, it says that people have a fear that their deeds will be exposed. That all of us is going to be laid bare and be out there. And God already knows it. He already knows it. He just wants us to acknowledge it with him. These are not surprises. But it's a necessary part of the process in order for us to have a clear idea of who we're supposed to be in Christ. Otherwise, we never actually look in that mirror. That mirror of the word of God. That mirror of the Holy Spirit. That mirror of godly people around you. And then we hide. And we keep a falsehood instead. So God wants to free us from all that. There's a temptation, right? Temptations of a false self. The, the, the book references in Luke 4, 1 through 13. Classic uh, bit of scripture. We're going to read through it. This is going to be our main thrust for today. Um, you'll see some different temptations that Jesus had in terms of false selves. In terms of these masks. In terms of these fronts. Let's read in Luke chapter 4. It says this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. This is a kick. This always blows my mind. He ate nothing during those days. Not, not 12 hours. I remember as a teen, I'd go six hours. I'm like, okay, where's my next meal? Like, feed me now. 12 hours, no. 40 days. And at the end of them, this is a gross understatement. He was hungry. Of course he was. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Meet that basic need. Get it done. You're hungry, feed yourself. Solve the problem, take it in your own hands, make something happen. Jesus answered. And this is what he always does anytime Satan comes at him. He always goes back with what? Scripture. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. It's interesting, I should say, because he references Deuteronomy 8.3. And that's when the Israelites left Egypt. So now they're in the desert. They don't know how to fully sustain themselves. Like, how do we eat? How do we drink? What do we do? God put them there intentionally to humble them. Intentionally so that they would not rely on themselves. They would not go on their own metal and spirit and action and do all this different stuff. But they would actually rely on God. And this, these flakes from heaven 
would come down and you'd, you'd collect it. This manna, you just pick it up, this flaky bread. And they'd do it every single day. And they could only get just enough for that day. They weren't supposed to take any more and hoard it and store it and keep it because if they did, what would happen to it? It would go bad. God was teaching them to rely on him, to trust in him. This temptation that Jesus had at this point is that I am what I do. This, this false self. I am what I do. I have to make things happen. I have to do it because if I don't, nothing's going to occur. Now granted, there's some truth to that. But the heart is, is do we trust? Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone. He trusted that God would provide him. And then true enough, right after this interaction, it says that the angels attended him. The angels came. They provided for his needs. All he had to do was wait. But we feel this temptation, this falsehood, that I got to do stuff, I got to make things happen. One of the first questions people will ask you, especially as you get older, teens, not right now, but they'll ask you, what do you do for a living? And I wish everybody just wanted to like really know about me and what I did and they cared for me. But a lot of times people are trying to compare themselves to you or they're trying to find out how much respect they should give you. It's the truth. We're not what we do. Continue on. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You know, one of my pet peeves uh, is, I see this a lot on social media, is people talking about like, they're thanking God for everything they have, but then they, they went all these, let's just say, extra biblical ways in order to get it. This idea of a kind of, kind of compromise, and they threw away the integrity, but they got all these things. They're like, oh, look, God bless me. And I think it, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but we have to be careful who's actually blessing us. Think about that. If you had to compromise who you are in Jesus to get what you want, who gave it to you? I don't know. I don't know. Put that out there. You can take it back, but shots fired. Bang, bang. You know? What was my point? <laughs> do, I, do I have? Wait, do I have? It's gone. Good Lord. Oh, jeez. Time out. Uh, uh, motion, take a break real quick. Let me uh, look at this real quick. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Please forgive me, Andy. Um, I am what I have. Is this falsehood, Right? Um, I remember getting a car at one point in time and being so happy got the car, uh, naming the car. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like almost kind of pet it when no one's looking. <laughs> we can do like this with possessions. You know, we can get focused on the bank account. We can get focused on the house. We can get focused on the automobiles. We can get focused on all the material possessions. It's a very much of a trap of American society, is it not? Yeah. I am what I have. Yeah. Oh, I would never have that much of affinity for some you know, materialistic or immaterial thing. Be honest. We can get there. You know, one thing that God would do for me when I got really happy when I had a new car, that first six months, and it wouldn't be of my own volition, uh, the car would get into some kind of accident. It was like clockwork. I remember one time in an apartment, I was really happy. I had a relatively new Honda Accord and had a sunroof. 
had some leather in it. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm doing good in life. I'm moving up the ladder. And, um, and I go downstairs to go to work, and sure enough, some F-350 just backed into the side and then smashed, took, took off. I have no idea who they were. I got no insurance information. And so I'm looking at this, and then I'm looking at my heart. Seriously, simultaneous. I was like, wait a minute, okay. How do I feel about this happening? Because I can't take this to the grave. Okay? So am I so caught up in this that it messes up my day, messes up my emotions, messes up my mood, messes up my ability to connect with God for the rest of this day, or whoever, how long? Or is it, amen? Surrender and trust God that this is a good test for my heart, that I don't get caught up in material possessions. Because I still have a car, it still works, it runs fine. Maybe I went down a couple social status, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> but how important is it really? You know? Getting caught up in what we have. Last part of this one is false self. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from there. For it is written, you will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully, that you will lift up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, like he always did with scripture, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6.16. When the devil would finish his tempting, he left them until an opportune time. All right? So you have this idea, you know, of, of we are what we do, this idea that we are what we have. This idea, last but not least, is that we can get caught up in this false sense of self and think of that we are what others think. I remember being in high school, and that was my main focus. I don't know how it was for you, but hyper-aware of everyone's opinion of me and making sure that my standing was where I wanted to be within the group. That was the primary objective every single day that I woke up. I don't know what it is for you, but it's easy to get caught up in it. That's the truth. Why does that correlate to this scripture? Because Jesus, when he's with Satan, he said, go, let's go to the top of the temple, right? That's about 200-something feet, 250. If you fall into the valley of Kidron, that's like another 200. So you're talking about like a 45-story drop, right? And the temple is a busy place. So if Jesus was to stand at this highest point of the temple and then land down miraculously, kind of floating down, what would that do for Jesus' social status, for his popularity? For other people's opinion of him, being at this busy place called the temple where it's the main hub of worship. It would elevate himself. It's interesting, though, but when you look at all Jesus' miracles in the Bible, it's always about someone else. Someone else being sick, someone else dead, someone else needing food. Even when he walked on water, it was for the apostles' faith. It was always about someone else. All he cared about was not what people thought, but what God Thinked about, believed about him, his relationship, that love, connecting to God, that's what mattered to him. Didn't matter about anybody's opinion. Didn't matter. And, and, and granted, we have people in our lives that we need to listen to. People in our lives that genuinely care about us, that will tell us things that can save our soul, that can bring us from the brink of death into life. But outside of those circles, what the heck are we listening to? <laughs> I think for myself, honestly. I think for myself, I'm like, it took me, I don't know how many years, it took me almost 40 years to realize what other people think doesn't matter as much as I put it on, much as emphasis that I put on my life. It took me a very long time to figure that out. I'm grateful for people like my wife and others 
that, that don't care. In a good way. They don't. They're like, what does God think? What are my core values? What are my core beliefs? What does the Bible say? What does the wisdom of others dictate? And that's what they focus on. It's a beautiful thing to see. How did Jesus deal with his emotions? Because he clearly felt them. In Hebrews 5, 7, it says this. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus went through it. You think about all the people that betrayed him, that hurt him in some capacity. Religious leaders that at any point in time tried to trip him up in his words, tried to invalidate his ministry. His hometown, Nazareth, what did they try to do to Jesus? Do you remember? It's in Luke 4. They tried to throw him off a cliff. Has your hometown tried to kill you lately? His did, right? His closest friends, Judas, E2 Brutus, stab in the back. That's, that's a Caesar quote if you didn't. Sorry, it's a little highbrow, 50-50. <laughs> may or may not get it. I'm with you, bro, I appreciate it. Uh, the disciples, they fled. They left at his most trying time. He went through the ringer in addition to the actual passion that I haven't mentioned yet, we'll get into shortly. He had to process his emotions on a regular basis with cries, prayers. It says fervent cries, right? I mean, he was wrestling in prayer with God on a semi-regular basis. He was not bearing his emotions. He was not trying to find some kind of uh, horrible addiction to, to hide his emotions in. He processed them with God. He felt it, it was hard, it was painful, but it always went back to the Father. Amen? There's a, um, there's a slide that I had, but it's too pixelated and it's pretty rough, so I'm not going to use it. Um, but it mentions within the book, there's this uh, modern, he's a family kind of, was it family therapy type, one of the pioneers of it. And he has this whole idea of differentiation. And differentiation, why I share this, is because it's the idea of not being affected by external forces. That you can remain true to who you are, irrespective of all the outside drama. Think about that for a sec. And you're talking, you know, job, financial, relational, uh, family issues, death, all these things that we face on a regular, semi-regular basis as people. But to be able to differentiate and to hold on to your core values and who you are. It's interesting because on the top of this little chart, it has like the 100 percentile. And it says, the ideal human. Like, does it exist? Like, question marks. And when you're looking at that, my first thought, and I think many of your first thought unequivocally is, that's Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus did. He went through all the gamut of raw emotions, all the situations you could possibly think of, and all he did was go back to his father. Over and over again. And it says that he was heard because of his reverent submission. So not only did he pray, not only did he convey everything that he felt in his heart, he was willing to be obedient. Obedient to death on a cross. It's an amazing man that we serve. Man and God. Practicals. Silence and solitude. This is Mark 135, where Jesus often went to the lonely places where he prayed. 
One of the whole points of this EHS course is that we can start practicing silence and solitude. Not so that you can become some Eastern philosophy monk, but that, well, there might be some tidbits of truth in there. But here's the thing, to have quiet times, quiet times, literally silent times with God, to connect, taking that silence, to think about him in your silence, to think about his word. We mentioned the idea there's you know, 19 Psalms that reference meditation in God's word. To be still. A lot of times when we pray, if you've been in church for a while, you can pray and you already know what you're going to say before you say it. And that is dangerous. That is dangerous when your prayer looks good to everyone else, but there's no real connection. The goal of silence and solitude is it allows us to still our hearts and just, just genuinely draw close to God. Amen? Amen. Trusted companions for practicals. You know, uh, I think a lot of us already know this. You can't really fly with eagles hanging out with turkeys. <laughs> can't do it. Right? Um, bad company corrupts good character. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. If you want to be able to deal with your emotions in a proper manner, we have to be mindful of the company that we keep. Do you have people that bring you back to God? Or do you have people in your circle that, let's say, put you to other endeavors? Who's around you? Luke 9, move out of your comfort zone. Take up a cross, deny yourself daily. In order to follow Jesus, you have to be able to want to address at some level. We create these barriers, we create these comforts, we create these like lanes for us to live because we like systems and, and we, we like things that are easy, we like things that make sense. And then God comes in and just blows it all up. If you are being led by the Holy Spirit in the spirit of John 15, and John 3, what talks about, you know, it's, it's like the wind. It blows, right, in different places and directions. He'll take you to places, God will take you to places by default that are uncomfortable. Yeah. And we're talking about places in our heart for context of emotions, right? There's places in our heart that we like to keep buried, and we don't want any light of Christ reflecting, because if we do, then we have to change. And we have to deal with all the raw emotion that comes with that. But God takes us out of our comfort zone. We want to grow emotionally. Lastly, pray for courage. Things that we shared are very difficult. Um, it's challenging, right? Uh, for the, our, gosh, about a month period, uh, my wife and I, we just felt very, like, attacked. Like, very much external forces. Both our cars had problems. Uh, my grandpa passed. Our whole family had COVID. It was, like, one after another after another. So, like, a three, four-week period, we felt, like, just very much attacked. Like, all these external things going on. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do with this stimulus? <laughs> How am I going to process this? And it's funny because I think sometimes God will bring you to places, let alone if you're going to talk about something on a stage, that you go through it yourself first. You know, deal with your emotions, Rhett. What are you feeling right now That's, that you don't want to give up to me, that you just want to kind of stay in your lane and just grit your teeth and go with your own metal and will and get stuff done, but you're bearing you're not giving me the deepest parts of your heart. I want to be close to you. What's the whole point of all this emotional stuff? So we get touchy-feely and sentimental and experiential and mysticism? No. The whole point of this is that we can draw closer to God in the deepest parts of who we are. But in order to do that, we have to let him in. Amen? Winding down with communion. Matthew 26, 47 through 54. Let's read this. It says, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. 
With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Rest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Ugh. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting his ear. That's Peter, if you're wondering. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For I will draw the sword, will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call my father, and he will not once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Why I share this passage is because imagine he was so secure in his relationship with God. He was so secure in who he was and is as a man. He knew his role. He understood that he was the Savior. He understood that this was forgiveness of sins. He knew exactly what he's supposed to do. So when he could call 12 legions of angels and stop the whole thing, he didn't. Exactly as scripture says, it must be fulfilled. How secure do you feel in your walk with God today? Hopefully through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, the fact that we are able to wake up in a state of grace, that that gives you a strong measure of security. That no longer do you have to define yourself by arbitrary reasons, you know, what you have and, and you know, what you do and what other people think, that we can allow ourselves to be defined by the cross. It's a beautiful thing to look at yourself in light of the sacrifice that God's made. It's so comforting. It's, it's the rock. We built the, our entire livelihood on the fact that Jesus died for us and he was raised from the dead. As we take communion this morning, search your heart. Search deep. Whatever's been untouched the past couple months or years, let today be a start to deal with that as you take communion. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. We thank you so much. Uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to fathom the love that you have for us and the grace that you have for us. But nevertheless, we're grateful, God. Help us, God, this morning as, as we take communion, as we take the bread and the juice, to genuinely reflect on your love. To allow our hearts to open up to a place where we can deal with the deep feelings, the deep-seated emotions, and truly ways that please you. We thank you for Jesus' example for being this, this perfect man who was able to process everything that he went through with you. Help us to imitate the example of God this morning going forward. Help us, God, to please you with the rest of this day. We love you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.